everybody, this is Cindy Fish. You are listening to the At His Feet podcast. I want to invite you today to set aside your whirlwind of busyness and mental to-do list to have a seat beside me at the feet of Jesus. Now let's pursue Him together. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to episode three of At His Feet podcast. And today we'll call Humble Healing, and we'll talk about uh, about three different people in the Bible that found healing at the feet of Jesus, what brought them there, what the outcome was, all that stuff. We'll really dig in. But before we start, you know, I just want to talk for a little bit. It's 11 o'clock at night, and my kids are asleep. I told you all that's what I would do is I'd have to wait till they're sleeping that is the only time of silence in my home. And it's not even silent all night because Abby will probably wake up around 2 a.m. <laughs> screaming. And then I'll put her back in her bed. And then Ezra will be the one to wake me up in the morning. So this is the, the quiet time in my house. And it's awesome. It might be my favorite time of day. Being a mom's great. But quiet is so good for my introverted self. I'm like, okay, I'm like introverted, no, extroverted introvert. So I'm an introvert, but I do like people. And so I do like talking, but I like talking more uh, one-on-one. And I know that that's weird because more than one person will hear this, but I guess because no one's here, it feels like one-on-one. I don't know. Um, I'm just wrapped up in a blanket and have a hot cup of coffee next to me. And uh, coffee stopped working on me, I think, somewhere in the middle of Abby this last 10 months. When your kid doesn't sleep good, you drink a lot of coffee, and it stops working on you, I guess. Before that, if I had coffee at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'd be up till 2 o'clock researching everything I could ever think of, you know? You know that rabbit trail on the internet where it's like, you start, I won't give an example because I'd give a dumb example and I'd be embarrassed about it later, but (laughs) you start at one thing, it's like simple. And then somehow two hours later, your eyes are like bloodshot and wide open and you're on a topic you never thought you would be, or, you know, something like that, or, you know, everything about this random topic that no one cares about. That would be me used to, but now I drink I drink it and I literally could fall asleep. Maybe I'm just that tired. I'm not sure. I don't think that's a good thing. But <laughs> but anyways, Taylor is gone right now. Today he was sending me well he didn't, but Pastor Bobo did pictures of Taylor holding this um a drink carrier full of this really yummy Thai tea. If you've never had it, it's so good. You should try it. And if you have had it, but live somewhere where you don't have access to it as easily, then you know my pain. Redding, California, don't ask me why. Maybe we haven't been enough places, but to us, it has like the best Thai food. And I love Thai food. It's so good. And I like when it's really spicy and the little Thai tea just kind of cools your mouth off. I don't know. It's so good. And Taylor right now is like in the Thai food capital to us. 
<laughs> we are from Silsby, Texas, so uh, he's in the Thai food capital without me, and it's my favorite food, and he was so wrong to send me a picture. I told him, I said, I hope that it's so spicy that you can't even enjoy it. <laughs> That's mean. That's mean, but he shouldn't have sent me a picture of it either. That was mean, too. <laughs> but he, he'll he come home in the next few days, and then all this time at rest that me and the kids have had the last couple of weeks, we've been staying home because, um, well, we had a few things cancel or, or things he flew out for type of stuff. So the kids have, have been, like, just chilling at the house. It's been so good. We like going, don't get me wrong, but rest is nice too, right? We need balance. And so uh, we're about to get back on the road, though. Uh, This weekend, we are going to Smithville, Tennessee for a United Youth Conference. And when this airs or whatever, uh, the conference will have already passed. But we're really excited and really expecting God to just do great things in the lives of the young people there. And, of course, we love the first family there, the Corneliuses. They are just—we've been several times, and they're the real deal, and they're a lot of fun. And, you know, one thing—I think I I said it, I think, before, that I love getting to go and meet people, you know, just new people that I would have never gotten to meet if we weren't on the road. And they are one of those families that I feel like that about because— um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't raised in the church. Um, my parents separated, I think when I was four, um, I think four or five, but anyway, so I don't ever remember like a solid home. And then even more than that, my, I didn't grow up in a home with the Holy Ghost. You know what I mean? Like I didn't grow up in a home that knew fully about God. And so they did the very best that they could, which my my dad, my dad got the Holy Ghost. I think got it when I was seven, but I didn't ever live with him, and so he really didn't have the opportunity to share that with me. Because I mean, one month in the summer and every few weeks, a couple of days in the middle of the week, you know, like that that was kind of hard for him. So, um. My parents did the absolute best that they could, but in me raising my kids and knowing what I know now, I want to do different. When you know better, you do better, right? So when we go places like Smithville, I like to just watch the, you know, the first family. I like to watch them with their kids, which their kids are all grown, but they're involved in the church and have great, you know, great enjoyable personalities and, you know, just true Christians. And so I want to know, how do you raise someone like that? Because I didn't have that. And I, so my example is a little bit different. Some of what I have learned is what not to do, but I like to pick people's brains on what to do. What are things that maybe me, you know, not growing up in this wouldn't think about. And so, um, I think it's neat to get to go into someone's home and watch how they interact with their kids and those kind of things. Which, talking about going into their home, um, Sister Cornelius is just an incredible homemaker. I don't know what you'd call her. Is that the right word, homemaker? I think. 
she is just awesome, does a great job of taking care of her family and taking care of their church. She's a powerful woman of God, and um, I really just think a lot of her. She will actually be my first interview, and I'm so excited. So this is episode three, and then uh, next episode, we will finish this little At His Feet series, and episode five, I'll be interviewing her, and I'm so excited to you know, let you listen in as I just, you know, ask her questions about her life and ministry and, you know, serving and I have everything's already prepared. I don't want to give it away. You don't want to listen to the episode twice, right? So I won't tell any more questions that I'm going to ask her, but it's going to be good and I'm really excited about it. It is definitely Okay, I'm stopping. I'm not going to say anything else. I could ramble about it. Anyways, just saying that we're excited. I'm excited to get back on the road. And I also want to tell you that um, if you haven't already listened, if you don't know about it, there's a podcast from the youth group at my church called Life Students Podcast. And our youth pastor, Brother Garrett Hill, also a photographer, also a videographer. He's obviously just super talented and and great at all these things. But he started this podcast. He's done interviews with all kind of people at our church and he has a lot of great, you know, Bible study type of one-on-one content too. You should really go listen and um this last episode that he did he had me come and asked me about my testimony and how I got in the church and you know, what was that conversion like for me? And he asked a few questions about what are we doing now in in our life, my life now as an evangelist wife. I don't think I answered that question perfectly because I'm still figuring out what we're doing sometimes. I'm winging it. No, I'm not quite winging it, but I'm just doing the best that I can, raising kids on the road and going all over the place. But I wanted to just share that, that if you do listen to podcasts and you really enjoy them, you should go check his out, Life Students Podcast. It is geared towards young people and hyphen, but I listen to every single episode and I always get something out of it. So... There's the plug. Go listen. Uh, We're just going to go ahead, and I've talked enough today. Let's just get to the lesson. I feel like there's a lot of content, and I'm excited to dig in. Today, we'll pick up very close to where we left off last week. The demoniac's story was Mark, um, well, it kind of ended in Mark 5 and 20, and that's where the man was, he went and obeyed Jesus' command, and shared his conversion and the mercy, 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 mercy that Jesus had shown him. Okay, so one verse later is where we'll start, and it's Mark five and twenty one, and it says this: and when Jesus was passed over again by ship onto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea, and behold. There cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, 
Come and lay hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. It's so crazy to me that right before this, he was working. He, Jesus, was working among the gatherings, and he just delivered that man of many devils. Yet those people told him to leave. Not just one or two said this, but Luke's account of this run-in with Jesus says this, Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them, for they were taken with great fear. Where one place had been resistant of him, the next place welcomed him. Immediately after, they gathered around him as soon as he as soon as he passed over the Sea of Galilee. Luke's account of this says they gladly received him, for they were all waiting on him. Jesus only did one work in Gadara that day. How much more could he have done if those people hadn't pressed him to leave? Jesus makes himself available, we know this, to anyone, but he stays where he's welcome. The next set of people, their response says so much about expectancy. They were waiting. They were ready to let him work, and immediately he got started. Not only did he immediately get started, but on his way to the first miracle, he did another miracle. So, you know, just as a byproduct of Jairus' faith. But anyways, he was immediately met by Jairus, one of the rulers of the synagogue. So, um, both the, the people from Gadara telling Jesus to leave and Jairus asking Jesus to come use the same word, which I thought was really cool. It's besought, besought, besought. It means to beg for to beg for earnestly or anxiously. Scripture tells us that Jairus fell at Jesus' feet with a desperate need. There's that posture again. I just want to explain how significant it is that Jairus, being a ruler of the synagogue, bowed himself before Jesus out in public. A whole crowd, right? It said they all were there to meet him. And Jairus just came and and bowed himself low and fell before Jesus. So it's important to think, what did a ruler of a synagogue even do? They were officials appointed by the elders to look after the building, its contents, and its arrangements for worship. Since we don't have the same setup today, sometimes... We, I, sometimes I miss uh, the significance of even small acts that our Bible characters did. But y'all, this was no small act. I read this in John about the rulers of the synagogue. So where this starts is a little backstory of what I'm about to read is following Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, where they laid their garments on the street and waved branches, saying, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. What we what we call Palm Sunday. Jesus ended up with a crowd around him again, and he was trying to tell of what was to come. 
his crucifixion, his resurrection, all of it. And the verse I'm about to read about the rulers of the synagogue follows directly after Jesus' explanation of what was to come. Verse 42, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. And I'll stop for a second. So many of these rulers really did believe in Jesus. But then the verse goes on to say this, But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. You know, for these chief rulers, even confessing Jesus meant that they would not only possibly lose their position, but they could literally be cast out of their place of worship. And so a lot of these were, they, they had to have been, you know, sincere. When, when your whole life revolves around the church and what's happening there, think about the possibility of being cast out. Then verse 43 says this, For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So they believed They believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. After getting that full picture, we can see that Jairus falling at Jesus' feet in worship wasn't just an act of humility. He was going against the grain of his peers and years of tradition. He was saying by his actions, I don't care what anyone else thinks. I'm not concerned with the praise or opinions of man, but my true need is God. So once again, we see that taking our place at Jesus' feet says so much more than any words could. Let that be said of me. Let that be said of me. She was more concerned with the praise of God than the praise of men or women. (laughs) So Jairus, he tells Jesus about his daughter who is on the verge of death, telling him, come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed. What faith. He knew something could happen if Jesus would just come. So here we we see Jairus make his way to that humble place of worship and present his need there. Jesus went with him. Jairus' posture was right in that, in that asking. Jesus knew the potential cost of him bowing in this manner so publicly and immediately followed him to where his daughter was. You know, one thing is, when Jesus comes, when he comes to where we are, he's prepared to work. He's prepared to do something. And Jairus knew that. He knew Jesus is here. Something's about to happen. Why can't it be for me? So he, he met him there. And you know, I said in episode one about how a lot of times when I'm in this moment where I'm that close to Jesus that I can't think of my needs and I only soak up being you know, in his presence. But this episode, we're not just talking about casual, everyday needs. Some of you are desperate. And there are times that I find myself in a place where I am desperate. And these people that we'll talk about today, they were desperate. 
And in their desperation, they knew exactly where to place themselves to get their need met. When they finally make it to Jairus' house, after a minor detour, which uh, we will actually talk about in a minute, someone runs out of his house and lets him know that his daughter is now dead. And this person actually says, why trouble the master any further after saying that she's dead? You know, when we talked about Mary, I mentioned that I personally felt that Jesus dealt differently with those who found a place at his feet. And here we see it again. Someone had just run out and plainly said to this man, Your daughter is dead. Stop bothering Jesus. Yet we see that Jesus responded tenderly to Jairus. He didn't even, he didn't even talk to the dude that just ran out of the house. He spoke to the one that had met him. The one that had had got down low, had got his attention. And he just said, be not afraid, only believe. In reassurance to this dad who had just heard the most heartbreaking news that he had ever heard, I'm sure. Then Jesus didn't allow anyone else to come in with them to see the daughter other than a few disciples. He knew the aching of the heart of Jairus and knew how sensitive of a situation that this was. The loss of a child is an ache that you cannot explain. Almost two years ago, we lost our second baby before we ever got to hold them. You know the news of there being no heartbeat during that? uh, It was for a gender ultrasound. It was an early one at one of those 3D reveal places, you know? So I was supposed to be about almost 16 weeks pregnant. And the news of there being no heartbeat during that ultrasound completely took my breath away. And if I think about it too much, I'll probably start crying. So I'm going to just tell you quickly that it absolutely shocked me. And there was this huge flood of emotions that came in that moment. So when I when I read these stories, I maybe it's because I'm an emotional woman. I don't know, but I, I find that so often I place myself in their position, you know? So I, I can't even imagine the ache of hearing that your child has took their last breath after you've held them and cared for them and fully known them for almost 12 years. Jairus had to be hurting. Of course, though, you know, after reassuring Jairus that everything would be okay, Jesus brought the girl back to life. But it was the 12-year-old girl's dad. It was his pursuit of Jesus and the place from which he made his petition for her healing. Ultimately, that led to resurrection life. I quickly add that Jairus, his first, he first approached Jesus. She only needed healing when he first came to him, but it turned into so much more. If you've been praying for a peer or a loved one that's walked away and just is seemingly dead in spirit, please keep this posture and this outcome in mind. There is no such thing as a point of no return spiritually for God to resurrect them. There's no such thing as too far. 
God can reach. Be encouraged and believe that God is able. He is able to reach even those that others have given up on. In this story, Jesus, so I already told you she got healed, but I'm going to go back a little bit. Um, Jesus asked those that were mourning her death. They were just crying and all this stuff. He's, he's like, why are, why are y'all making a big deal over this? And then he said, the girl wasn't dead. The girl's not dead. She's only asleep or but only asleep. They laughed at him. Those that had just been weeping and wailing laughed in disbelief because they doubted his words. They believed what they had seen with their eyes rather than what, what he had actually spoken. They clearly weren't aware of you know, exactly who he was, but we are. So remind yourself, he sees it all. Nothing is too hard for him, nothing. His arm is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. The backslider, the prodigal, whatever you want to call him, that's walked a million miles away is not dead but asleep. And I want to believe it with every fiber of my being. When doubt tries to creep up, I just choose. I have a made up mind. I just choose to show that belief in prayer. The story then tells us that those that were laughing in disbelief were put out of the room. Only those that believed his words remained to see this great miracle. I've never noticed that before. I'm not sure why. But I want to see the miracle of restoration in those that I love. And let me tell you, if you're listening and you are far away from God, please know that I love you. God loves you. I'm believing for your return. And I want to be in the room when God restores you. I want to be a witness when He resurrects you back to living for Him. It's not too late. You're not too far. Just let Him pull you out from where you are. If I could make the choice for you, I would. I already would have. I would have already chose for you. But you've just got to let Him. He has the power. I also, I want to say this too. You know, if you're someone who struggled with, on the other side of the coin, if you're someone who struggled with believing in God's restorative power, You know, the ones that laughed at him saying uh, that the daughter was just asleep. Maybe you ran into someone recently that's walked away. And, you know, in that moment, you just can't see how God can make it right. I want to share with you what I do. There's something in me. There has always been something in me that refuses to give up on someone that leaves the church. I just can't do it. Something in me that won't forget about them. Almost maybe to a fault. I don't know. If I'm wrong, then somebody tell me. But every time I even, you know, scroll past a picture of a prodigal on social media or something, I just remind myself and I remind God. And often I remind my husband so much that I wonder if if he's tired of hearing it. I can't help it. I'm telling you, every single time. It doesn't matter if it's the same person. Five days in a row, when I see their picture, I do this. 
I remind us all of the plan that I know that God still has for them. I usually can't even look at one of their pictures or their posts without weeping, and I can hardly think of it now without it. Maybe here in this moment, God's telling me to. They're not dead, but only asleep. Not long ago, I ran into someone that once lived for God in a store in our town. And I won't say how long ago or how not long ago. That way, if you do live in my town, you don't know who I'm talking about because it's been quite. Anyways, I said I wouldn't tell how long. (laughs) You know, after talking small talk for a few minutes, we said our goodbyes. And I'm not kidding. The whole trip back to the car and back home, you know, to pay for my groceries, all that. I reminded God of every gifting and every talent that He had given them. I reminded God of every potential thing that I could see that they had inside them that could benefit the church and could benefit someone else. I reminded God of every good thing, and I couldn't stop speaking in tongues by the time I was in the parking lot for them, and I was just weeping and interceding for them, and... I would have looked a lot less crazy if it would have been quarantine time because I'd have had a mask and no one would have been able to see me. I just couldn't help it. I don't have it all together and I know I don't always get it right, but I challenge you, adopt that principle when it comes to those that show all signs of spiritual death in your world. God has a plan. God still has a plan. God still has a purpose. Don't allow yourself to become jaded by seeing so many walk away. Talking about those that walk away, you know, just keep it in your mind that more are coming in than the number of those that are leaving. We we go all over the country and, uh, well, not all over. We have a few states that I still want to check off the list, <laughs> but we go a lot of places and we see every service, every revival, people coming in, into the church way faster than people are leaving. Jesus is coming soon, though, and we've got to be ready. And I want to see those that I love be ready, too. And like this young girl whose sickness progressed to death, their sin progressed to walking away, but there is still hope for life for them. Whoever your them is, it doesn't matter who it is, what they've done, where they're at. There's still hope for life. Even if it doesn't look like it, even if it looks hopeless, even if there's a voice, you know, whoever else says that they're done, they're they're lost, it's over. When we get to Jesus' feet on their behalf, just like Jairus did with his daughter. You know, earlier I said that there was a brief detour on the way to Jairus' house. So likewise, we'll, you know, briefly talk about her story. The woman with the issue of blood. Her story is told in a short nine verses in Mark. Yet, I've heard her story over and over, and I'm sure so have you. I can't even tell you how many times I've heard her preached about, testified about, keynoted about, and on and on, you know, taught on, whatever. I've heard it so much And I think it's because so many people are moved by this woman's desperation. 
There's that word we talked about earlier, desperation. All these people we talk about today have that common thread. When you're desperate, you'll do anything. Go anywhere. Whatever it takes to get your need met. And need is the right word. You don't usually get desperate for a want. This woman had her ailment for 12 years. She had tried everything else. Had been to every kind of doctor or help that she could find. She had spent everything she had. And now she was stuck with having nothing. Having wasted 12 years of searching for a cure and wasn't any better. Her condition was only getting worse even after all of her effort. Man, can you relate to that? Trying things your way, doing whatever it takes to get your answer, or taking whatever pill or supplement to feel better, seeing whatever therapist to have your mind made straight. And I should add, I'm not against uh, medicine or therapy or any of that. Um, But you know, I just say Jesus first. And I, I walk lightly there because I do believe in those things. But you know, if you've ever you know felt like this, pursuing every avenue to try and push doors open for yourself, all this effort to end up not only no closer to your desired goal, but to end up even farther away than when you started. Have wasted time, wasted energy, wasted your finances. Only to be worse. You know, by the by the laws of the time, being touched by anyone having that kind of problem that this woman had would would have defiled a person. No one wanted this woman near as she was considered unclean. I think that also explains the links that she went to to search for an answer. She said in her heart which I think that's neat. That's what the scripture says. She said in her heart, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, ask yourself, where is the hem? Very low to the ground. She made herself press, get through this press of the people surrounding him just to touch him. A very unseen place especially in this crowd of people. But once again, she knew. She knew just where to go. She knew where to place herself and had confidence that she would be changed just by touching him. Jesus stops in his tracks, asking who touched him. The disciples' response honestly just reiterates that this is not a place to be noticed. When they answer to him, they say this. Well, okay, this is like Cindy language for scripture. But they say, what do you mean who touched you? There's a whole crowd of people here. But Jesus knows the difference. He always knows the difference. And though no one else noticed this woman's humble pursuit of healing, he did. And he answered, he told her, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of your plague. Not just be healed, but whole. Be made whole. 
That's where not just the symptoms go away, but the root of the problem goes away. So whatever your need, just consider. It is possible for not just the the symptoms to be remedied, but for Jesus to make you whole. The root of it, whether it's physical, spiritual, emotional, in your mind, I mean, some of those are probably the same. Anyways, whatever, whatever it is, He can make you whole. You know who else wasn't just healed, but was made whole? The book of Luke tells us a story of ten lepers. It explains that while traveling, Jesus was passing through Samaria and Galilee. I looked at a map. I mean, you know, you read it and you think, Oh, yeah, but I looked at a map so that I wouldn't give you wrong information. Uh, that the two border. And so it says that in the midst of the two, this where where they met him. So he was in a place where both met, and um, I promise it's important. He was basically on the outskirts of, of both places. And sometimes, you know, we read the Bible and we think, come on, get to the story. All these little details are not necessary or. What does that even matter? But if we truly believe that the Word of God is God-breathed, then every page, every sentence, every word is there on purpose. So as Jesus is entering a village, entering meaning on the edge of the city, in that time, people that suffered leprosy were treated as outcasts. They were forbidden to have any contact with people who did not have the disease, as it was contagious, you know, and in and, and that time they didn't have all the, you know, what we have now, you know, for it. So Luke says that these men lifted up their voice and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. This practice came from Old Testament laws regarding leprosy. In Leviticus 13, 45 and... Uh, 46, it says, and this is just instruction to the people of what to do in different situations. It says, And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent, and his head bare, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip, and shall cry, Unclean, unclean. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone. Without the camp shall his habitation be. Without the camp means just outside the camp, which is why they would have met Jesus where they did. Clearly, though, even as outcasts, these men had heard of the miracle worker, Jesus, too. They knew who to call on. They knew who to to call out to. Jesus then, without any further instructions, just tells them to go show themselves to the priest. Jesus didn't actually tell them they were healed. So many times at people's request for healing, Jesus would tell them, you know, their faith had healed them or be healed and go their way. But this time, Jesus didn't have to say that. By telling them to go show themselves to the priests, he actually again is referencing that Old Testament law regarding lepers. These laws were were known Back to Leviticus, we see where the priest would go outside the city and examine the man with the leprous spot and see if he had been healed. 
Allowing the priests to examine you upon possible healing was common. So as these men went and obeyed Jesus' command, it says that they were healed. They had to all be thankful and shocked and so excited to return to normal life after being outcast. But then it says that one man, one out of ten, turns back. The others, the others were content to be healed. What a miracle they had received. But the one, the one turned back and it says it glorified God with a loud voice and fell down on his face at Jesus' feet. One of ten. There's that often just unpopular posture. What a way to show gratitude to our great God. You know, the leper's response of gratitude and and glorifying God made him, made Jesus go a step further and say to him, thy faith has made thee whole. The leper didn't wait to go show himself to the priest. He didn't wait for protocol, but he was overwhelmed by his healing and couldn't wait to say thank you and worship the one to whom all glory is due. Nine out of ten were content with face-to-face. But once again, we see that face-to-feet, bowed low in reverence and awe and gratefulness for the God who has healed us makes the difference in our lives. Healing leads to wholeness when we take our rightful place. This man was even a Samaritan. Jesus calls him a stranger. Noting you know, this response was unexpected from someone of this man's lineage. Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. They were descendants of the Jews that split to the north after King Solomon was done reigning. So the, the, the kingdom split north and south. There was a rebellion. There was a revolt. Uh, The new North Kingdom decided to choose Samaria as their capital. They didn't want to travel to Jerusalem anymore, so they set up their own high places, their own altars to these gods that weren't the one true God. And so then new people, new, new countries, new nations decided to start moving in. So fast forward, and, and these people began, you know, fast forward a lot of years, and these people began mixing their worship to God, to our God, with pagan rituals and idols. They appointed their own priests instead of using those from the Levite tribe. They did what they wanted, however they wanted, and they ended up with this just weird mix. People of you know, all the nations that moved in and the result of Jewish people marrying those of these nations and, and mixing this weird, just twisted religion. It was this way of worship, and that is what resulted in the Samaritans. So through the years, obviously, uh, you know, that caused so much tension and turmoil. Samaritans really shunned the fullness of, of Jewish practices as a whole. And of course, likewise, Jews towards Samaritans beliefs. They they didn't like what they believed either. So all of this, and they were just like at odds. All of this was a big reason why this consistent just tension 
Jesus made such a big deal out of this man becoming a, being a Samaritan. And I know that was a long explanation, but I thought it needed to be talked about in my plain words. <laughs> so also just to say plainly that God meets with those that others don't even want to touch. Lepers. He meets with those that others don't even want to be associated with or talk to. Samaritans. And those that both no one wants to touch and no one wants to associate with, like this man, Jesus extends his hand to them, too. Others didn't even want to get close to this man. But we see here that Jesus let him not only get close, but touch him as he fell down on his feet. One more at his feet scripture to cover it all and wrap it all into one. It's Matthew 15 and 30. Great crowds came to him, to Jesus, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. If you need anything, if you need to be made whole, whether in your body or in your mind, whether it's for you or for someone else, get to that place. Give him glory like he is so worthy of and let him make you whole. Let him fix the situation. Let him mend what's been broken. Let him heal you and make you whole so perfectly that you don't look like what you were before. You know, when you put something that's been broken back together, there's still evidence, right? But um, when you just make something whole, it's... It's restored. It's renewed. And recently, I was I was sharing my testimony with someone, and they said, "I can't believe that you have a past." Which silly, right? All of us do, no matter who we are. But I couldn't help but reflect later and just ask God, you know, God, please never let that change. Please help me to stay whole. That I'll still remember what I was but that I won't look like what I've been through. Y'all, God just, He does all things well. Get to His feet. Fall at His feet. And let brokenness not only be healed, but be made whole today. There's no better remedy for anything going on than just getting to Jesus. Next episode, we'll talk about Martha how needed she is in the church, and how Jesus really loves her too. There's a place for everyone at His feet. It's not the most sought-after place, but there is room for you, and there is room for me. And you, maybe you're someone that feels like you don't fit in many circles. There's not a crowd at His feet. There's never a crowd at His feet. It's an often neglected place, yet there's always an open invitation and a seat for you in that special place. We'll dig into that too next episode. Subscribe, leave a review, all that stuff, and of course, share this with anyone that you think it'll be a blessing to. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.